go rebuild my church, which as you can see, is falling into ruins. These are the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi from an image of Christ on the crucifix at San Damiano in 1205 AD. These same words inspired Peter Doan, the host of the program you're about to hear. Peter challenges all of us to rebuild, not the brick and mortars of our church buildings, but our personal faith and relationships that will rebuild and strengthen the church. Now here's today's program. Hi, I'm Peter Doan. And you're listening to the radio broadcast, Go Rebuild My Church. Each week in this broadcast, we will explore ways to put into practice the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi by our Lord Jesus, and how this theme is relevant as we seek to bring renewal to the church today. Our passion for renewal was ignited when we came home to the Catholic Church 12 years ago, and that's when we heard the call to rebuild and joined efforts with many other renewal movements within the church. You can learn more about our journey home and our lay apostolate dedicated to the renewal in the Catholic Church by visiting our website at www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org. Our prayer is through the ministry of this radio program and our lay apostolate that we can provide pathways for you as individuals, as well as parishes to join the rebuilding process and experience renewal. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in the midst of a series that we believe is critical to the rebuilding and renewal of the American Catholic Church. Our series is the call to return to biblical Christianity. We've been on an exciting journey, and I really would say exciting, into the Acts of the Apostles, where we are rediscovering the characteristics that made the early Christians such a powerful force, pulling together the scripture, excerpts from the catechism, and teachings of the church, we're being challenged on how we, too, can start to live as the early Christians did. In our last program, we discovered in Acts chapter 8, following the martyrdom of St. Stephen, a terrible persecution broke out upon the church. Saul of Tarsus was a key leader and organizer of the persecutions, and Scripture states that he ravaged the church. Isn't that right, Peter? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. We discussed how Jesus, the apostles, and St. Paul all taught that persecution would be experienced by all true believers. That's us. And Peter, let's just take a few moments to share some highlights from last week on how we, as true believers, can personally embrace this aspect of personal of, of persecution. You provided us with five practical ways to prepare. Yes. And they were, let's just review them quickly, to make a firm commitment, seek the approval of God, not man. We're to focus on the eternal, never give up, and keep our eyes on the prize. Now, thanks for all that, Leslie. Yes, thankfully, sacred scripture not only tells us that we're going to suffer persecution, but we can see among the persecutions in scripture how best to prepare ourselves for it. And as you mentioned, we gave five keys to preparation. The first one is make a firm commitment. This first one is a wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ without any reservation. This is the way a normal Catholic Christian walks should begin. In fact, in Acts chapter 14, 22, St. Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey. And they were strengthening the souls as they went back through the believers 
as they were returned home to Antioch. And it says they exhorted them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So first of all, they were saying, make that firm commitment. Secondly, we said we need to seek the approval of God, not man, which is really important. Yes, it is. Very, very important. So, you know, often in our lives, we make choices based upon what people will think of us. This is very natural. We want to be accepted by others. But Paul challenges us in Galatians chapter 1 when he wrote, For I'm not now seeking the approval of man or of God. Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul challenges us to be prepared to face persecution personally when we make a stand and not to be afraid that we will not please man and our surrounding groups. Or lose our social standing or the acceptance of others. Isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. So the third point that we focus on was a folk that we need to focus on the eternal. This third point is really amplified in Hebrews chapter 11. That's where it talks about the all-star saints of the Old Testament. When it talks about Moses, who grew up in Egypt, he knew he was destined to inherit the throne as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But it says that he had everything the world could offer. But then we know at the age of 40, he turned his back on it fled from Egypt, and spent the next 40 years looking after some sheep on the backside of a desert. The verse says of Moses, and this ties into the focus on the eternal, by faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. So if we're going to endure persecution, the unseen world must be more real to us than the seen. Leslie, I think one of the best scriptures that captures this truth of the connection between the unseen and suffering persecution is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where St. Paul said, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be what we cannot be seen is eternal. So last week you also encouraged us not to give up. Why, Peter? Well, in addition to the need for firm commitment to the Lord, seeking the approval of God, not man, and keeping our eyes on the unseen, that fourth point, Leslie, is that if we fail, we uh, don't give up. One of the devil's cleverest tricks is to say, you're a failure. You might as well give up because God has given up on you. And last week we highlighted the scripture from Revelation 12, which reveals to us that one of the devil's main strategies against us is to accuse us. It says in Revelation, let me read it for you, Mm -hmm. I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And there it is, the devil accusing us day and night before our God. And that's right, Leslie, and that's why the Lord throughout Scripture challenges us not to give up. And then finally, we fifthly, to endure persecution, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. 
What we mean by that is to endure persecution, we remember that there's a prize for all faithful believers at the end of our journey. These are some of the things that remain for the future. Paul writes his testimony of faith from his jail cell before he suffered martyrdom. He said, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I kept the faith. Paul did all three, and he had a prize waiting for him. And Second Timothy talks about the prize. Right. And it says, from now on, there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So we're all really longing for the appearing of the Lord and to earn that crown in heaven, aren't we? That's right, Leslie. And uh, if we had time, and maybe we can sometime, we can say right now that there's persecution happening all over the world, in Africa, in China, and many other places. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a later program. Okay, listeners, we're going to take a short break now, and when we return, we'll share another dimension of biblical Christianity that we have discovered in the book of Acts. The early believers were constantly sharing the good news about Jesus. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. At Catholic Radio, we love to hear from you. Call us anytime. Just recently, we found this message on our voicemail. I'm a non-Catholic that listens to your Catholic radio station, and I just want to thank you guys. I listen to uh, Catholic Answers, and I'll trust this sometimes, and I think her name's Teresa Tommy. I listen to her, and uh, another show or two. I appreciate it. Call us at 317-870-8400, and let us know what you're thinking. I just called to say, even though I'm not a Catholic, I listen to your station. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. In this series, we've been exploring the call to return to biblical Christianity and discovering the characteristics that made the early Christians such a powerful force. Peter, we're going to move on now and continue our journey through the Acts of the Apostles. What more can we learn in Chapter 8 about characteristics of the early Christians? Uh, Yes, Leslie. The Holy Spirit makes an interesting connection in Acts chapter 8. With the heavy persecution that began with the martyrdom of St. Stephen, the scripture says the apostles in that persecution stayed in Jerusalem, but the faithful were scattered throughout the region. But when they were scattered, it says something interesting. They went about preaching the word. So the Lord has given um, these leadership gifts in the church, Leslie. I'm talking about the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem. It says in Ephesians, the Lord has given the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, not to do the whole work of the church, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In fact, the role of the priest or the lay people employed by the church, say staff members, etc., is not necessarily to carry out the mission and all the work of the church themselves, but rather to activate baptized Catholics into the lives of holiness and mission. In fact, being a director of evangelization, um, I realized that my main job was not only to be able to lead by example and evangelize, but rather also to equip the laity to evangelize. Rather than always needing to go to the street corner, which sometimes is your call to do, that leaders in evangelization throughout 
the faithful lead by example and teaching and training the laity to go forth. In Western Catholicism, Leslie, the laity have often taken a relative uh, passive role and expect the leaders to do the work. That's not a negative judgment, but a reality of where we've been. Sometimes leaders have to fall, have fallen into, into that habit as well, you know. But as the scripture indicates, there's no way that the mission of the church can succeed without more baptized Catholics taking up an active role. Well, and certainly the gospel would not have spread if the new believers hadn't taken up this role. Right. And I can relate to this because when I was growing up, it was also my predominant belief that or understanding that Catholics in the Western Church, which is the first world, was that evangelization was something that only dedicated clergy or religious did, and they were sent out to the third world. Yeah, that's right, Leslie. I can remember as a little boy, we had a mission in my parish in upstate New York, and a missionary who was a priest of the Marinol came to our home parish and talked about the importance of being a missionary to New Guinea. So, in my mindset, that represented missions of going out to places far away. Uh, but the mission field has now changed, and that's a part of why we call evangelization the new evangelization, because this mission field has changed. George Weigel, I've mentioned this before, who's a powerful thought leader, a layman in the Catholic Church today, mentions that he was in Dallas one time, and he had to turn around in a big parking lot of a uh, of a church there, and as he left the parking lot and went out the exit, he saw a big sign that says, you are now entering mission territory. So while the implementation of the new evangelization, Leslie, on the parish level is just at its beginning stages, a small but growing number of parishes and dioceses have made the transition from maintenance to mission or are, are wrestling to do that and develop a more evangelistic mentality as a part of the fabric of the Catholic laity. Well, Peter, we all have different concepts in our mind of what evangelization is and is not. Could you take a moment to explain for us again what is the new evangelization? I know the term's used all the time in Catholic parishes, but what exactly does that term, new evangelization, mean for us today? Okay. Uh, one, of, one of my favorites, Pope St. John Paul II, while talking about the need, was talking about the need to recover the fire of the early church. And I, I really even like that phrase because this has been kind of the theme of this series that we're doing on the call to restore biblical Christianity. But he talked about how to recover the fire of the early church following Pentecost. And he said this at the beginning of the new millennium. The passion will not fail to stir in the church a new sense of mission, which cannot be left to a group of specialists. That's what we've been talking about here today. But must involve the responsibility of all the members of the people of God. Those who have come into genuine contact with Christ cannot keep him for themselves, he said. They must proclaim him. He went on to say a new apostolic outreach is needed which will be lived as the everyday commitment of Christian communities and groups. I think that's a great summary of what we're trying to say here, Leslie. Uh, this message is a call to evangelization, is addressed 
to every Catholic Christian and cannot and should not be delegated to the specialists or the committees like uh, St. John Paul is referring to. Obviously, again, the role of the priest is absolutely critical in calling lay Catholics, Leslie, to embrace that reality that their call to holiness and evangelization is very critical to the church. And, you know, and also, too, I've seen a lot of times maybe we put our hopes in uh, having a special evangelization event, and they can be useful. But what is being called for by uh, the Pope here and our, our present-day Catholic Church and what is necessary in evangelization is becoming part of the baptized Catholics' fundamental identity and part of their everyday of way of life for that role. The priest is crucial for equipping the believer, Catholic believers to do that. Now, most lay people will never believe that they're really in Christ unless that priest instructs them and inspires them, Leslie, to understand and embrace this profound call. I know that is something that you were very, very concerned about in your past role as the director of evangelization, really wanting more of the priest support um, for the new evangelization and really calling the people to that um, on a regular basis, weren't you? Yeah, one of the, one of the things that I worked with in my parish uh, with the priest that is on Christmas, um, Matthew Kelly informs us that one-third of those people that go to church on Christmas only go to church once a year. So in working with the priest, when I was director of evangelization, uh, we talked about how their, their homilies not only needed to address the believers, the Catholics that were there all the time. The faithful Catholics. Right, but those that would be there only that one time and just how we could really minister to them, make them thirsty for the Lord, make them thirsty again for the church, and really encourage them that the church was waiting for them with open arms. Well, we're going to take another short break now, so please stay with us, listeners. And when we return, we will discuss practical ways as we as Catholic believers can become engaged in the new evangelization and share the faith with those who need to hear the good news. Hi, I'm Patty Cochran. Are you a non-Catholic who listens to Catholic Radio? Would you like to find out more about how to join the Catholic Church? There's a program called RCIA that can introduce you to the Catholic faith, and it's available at your local parish. You don't have to make a commitment to participate in the program. Just try it out. I did, and it was one of the best steps I've ever made. Contact your local parish office for more information and start your journey home. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. Today we are continuing our series on the call to rebuild the church here in America through the restoration of biblical Christianity. In our last segment, we discussed how the early believers were scattered as a result of persecution. But rather than withdraw in fear, the laity, so to speak, went about preaching the word and evangelizing. Peter, how is this relevant for us? How can we get this fire back in our church and be better prepared to share the faith? Oh, uh, yes. Yes, Leslie. Thank you. And very important. Evangelization, I don't believe, will not will happen if we don't prepare ourselves for it. When I was the director of evangelization in a parish for eight years, I was privileged to see firsthand 
how we could step-by-step equip the laity to embrace the call to be a church on mission and not just on maintenance. Well, what do you mean by that, Peter, mission versus maintenance? Well, that it, again, it goes back to that George Weigel scenario where we begin to see that when we go out the church doors and we enter into the other six days of our lives, that we are on mission and that we're to be seen as God's ambassadors, as St. Paul talked to us about. So the text that uh, we want to talk about, Leslie, is in Colossians chapter 4, where St. Paul, from verses 2 through 6, lays out seven steps for we, the laity, to be prepared to evangelize. And I think it'd be worth our while to go through, quickly go through those steps. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, first of all, St. Paul tells his listeners to pray for him. And so step number one in all evangelization is that we need to stop and pray and be filled with the Holy Spirit implied in that prayer. I believe, Leslie, that this is foundational to all personal evangelization. If we pray to be filled with the Spirit, then we have the love for those that we are called to give the good news to Jesus about. The Lord will move when we do that. And I think a good practical way we can start doing that very simply is to make a prayer list and really be intentional about praying for people in our network, whether they be family members, neighbors, coworkers, whatever the case may be, even strangers that we meet along the day, and really start to pray for them. And it seems among us, Leslie, and I bet you among a lot of our listeners, it seems like our prayer lists are growing. We're just living in times where we really need the Lord's interventions. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So step number two, St. Paul in these verses says for us to be watchful, to be watchful. And I found an interesting quote, Leslie, in uh, the Catechism that says this, and it's from the decree on the apostolate of the laity, which is a second Vatican Council document. It says, the true apostle is on the lookout. Hear that phrase, on the lookout, for occasions of announcing Christ by word, either to unbelievers to draw them towards the faith, or to the faithful to instruct them, strengthen them, and incite them, I like that word too, to be more fervent in life. But that phrase, on the lookout, just really pops. So that poses a question, Peter. How can we posture ourselves to be on the lookout, to be watchful? What do we do next? That takes us to St. Paul's step three, which he said, pray for the open door. And I believe that there's three ways that we can recognize and be on the lookout for an open door. First of all, it's what I would call a divine appointment. That's the example that we even see in the same chapter 8 of Acts that we're talking about today, where Philip went up into the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch was reading scripture and said to Philip, what does this mean? That's definitely a divine appointment. Then secondly, the open door represents what I call human predicaments. That's when someone that is in our network that God brings us to is experiencing brokenness because of a life 
life-suffering event. And we know we all experience life-suffering events, and sometimes God uses our events to minister to those others who have life-suffering events. And then finally, the power of one is the third open door. Those are people that we have relationships with, that God has joined us through our businesses, etc., that um, that uh, we just stay in the room with them until the Lord opens the door. So for step four and five, we're going to be talking about the charisma, yep. sharing the mystery of Christ. Right. St. Paul said, fourthly, to declare the mystery of Christ. This is the charisma. Simply stated, this is what St. Peter presented on the day of Pentecost to those listeners and presented the life, the suffering, the life, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ that we call the Paschal Mystery. Fifthly, St. Paul said that we need to make it clear as how we ought to speak. This charisma, this charisma, Leslie, is simple and clear. It doesn't need to be complicated. It's not heavy theology. It's the consequences of the response that are monumental, to that have eternal consequences, and we need to keep it simple. Right. We don't need a theology degree to share the simple gospel. That's right. So step six that St. Paul talks about in Colossians, Leslie, and this is interesting. He said, conduct yourself wisely, making the most of your time. And I really like that phrase. So when God brings us into these divine appointments, we need to practice the Lord's wisdom. Uh, A lot of times that means we need to just simply tell our story of conversion, of how faith has become real to us. You know, there's real power in storytelling And when you connect your own story with the charisma or the gospel, that becomes really the good news of Jesus Christ. And then finally, Leslie, step seven, St. Paul says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. In other words, let the the hearer become thirsty for what you've shared. Well, Peter, I think it would be good now if we prayed for our listeners in this regard, and uh, would you lead us in a prayer? Yes. Lord, we pray for ourselves. We pray for our listeners today. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, like the Catechism teaches us, that we would learn to be on the lookout, that we would be like the early church, that when persecution comes, we would see not only is that something that you brought us as a gift, but it's also an opportunity for us to preach the word to others. Lord, equip us, especially the laity, to share this good news. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit. amen. Amen. Well, thank you, audience, for joining us today as we seek to connect individuals and parishes to the rebuilding and renewal of the Catholic faith here in America. And if you're interested in learning more about how to share the gospel, or the power of telling your conversion story, please reach out to us on our website at www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org. And we will be joining you again next week to hear more about this great journey through the Acts of the Apostles. If you would like to hear our past programs, go to catholicradioindy.org and press the big blue button in the top corner of the webpage and make sure to become a regular listener of Catholic Radio Indy. Goodbye. You've been listening to Go Rebuild My Church with Peter Doan. 
Podcasts of this program are available at www.catholicradioindy.org.